Hi, this is Paul. This is Friday morning live stream. I don't have any special guests on today. I wasn't sure I was going to live stream this morning. I was actually thinking I wasn't. I was just going to do some admin work here in the office, but stuff stuff happens. And well, uh, how did this happen? Well, you know, I talked to Rick and we thought about doing BOM, but BOM should really happen next week. So if my schedule permits, I'll do BM, BOM, Bridges of Meaning question and answer next week. But I wanted to, I, I actually cruised over the broken, broken clock tower discord to see if I could find some branding right away. So I could just, one of the, one of the things that Grim Grizz does, of course, when he live streams, he's got all this branding, which lets him sort of take a step back and do stuff and didn't do that. So I wasn't sure what he was going to do today. I was watching the unhear, unheard year in review video and, and found some really cool stuff that I hadn't seen throughout the year. That's kind of the, the real good thing about year-end things. I was watching Burn Powers and Justin Wells talk about movies. That was cool. I watched the um, I watched Asteroid City last night with my wife. I uh, haven't had a chance yet to look at the Thomas Flight um, YouTube about that. So a bunch of stuff was happening. I woke up about a little before 6 a.m. this morning and was, wow, I'm really blurry on the on that screen over there. I don't know why. Oh, I know why. It's this crappy resolution that I have with uh, with StreamYard. How, how, how does the picture look to all of you? Does the picture, um, yeah, way back, May, I was ragging on you. Yeah, well, you know, colonizing is a difficult thing. Um, hi, Sam. I got your email. Uh, I haven't read it yet. It's there in the queue. So I woke up early this morning and what often happens is if I wake up early, I don't want to bother my wife. So if I get up out of bed and go do something in the other room, but this time of year, my house is full of people. One of the things that my wife and I talk about is getting a bigger house just because not, not because she and I need a bigger house, but because we have five children and we raised the five children in this house. And they were all five little children, five little people and two big people. And now when they all come home for the holidays with their boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés, husbands, wives, pets, and someday grandchildren, it's like, boy, we just don't have enough house for all these people. So we, we actually talk about getting a bed and breakfast, but we don't want to leave Northern California and we're super close to our jobs right here. So it's that someday this will be resolved. But anyway. So I wake up, I wake up early in the morning and will I go back to sleep? I don't know if I'll go back to sleep. I always have this long list of things that you people send me to, to watch and pay attention to. And, oh, Justin Brierley has his latest episode and it's Paul King's North and Martin Shaw. And I owe Martin Shaw an email and um, I, I should have Martin Shaw on in January. We'll have a, have a proper Randos conversation. I met him at ARC and we didn't have any time to connect or talk at ARC, but um, that was one of the coolest things about ARC. So I was listening to the Paul King's North Martin Shaw episode from on Justin Briarley's podcast stream. And oh yeah, I didn't really watch that Paul King's North scene and unseen. And he starts in on that. And Justin, there's some good stuff in that Paul King's North thing, but then Justin's Justin Briarley just has a quick, quick offhand quote from Francis Spuford, who I had never heard of before. But the quote sounded really intriguing. And so, oh, okay, got to look that up. And, oh, that was cool. So let's play a little bit of that. 
professor at Oslo College. And okay, let me know if the sound works because I'm not used to doing this this way. And I know Jacob is going to um, harass me about not having a countdown and all of that. But um, just let me know in the comment section if the sound is there. You teach this stuff. Um, how much pleasure do you get from, as it were, seeing others sort of develop those oh, talents and that sort of thing? Enormous. Um, because because it's all so different books are more different from each other than almost mm. anything else that goes around in the world under the same under the same name so everything that that anybody is doing is is its own okay is that better i just turned it up like 20 percent of your own volume oh that's bad that's bad um success oh. and they watching them grow is like a kind of um it's a sort of garden where every single plant is 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 a kind of is a kind you haven't seen before and up it comes um and sometimes it goes wrong and sometimes it doesn't go wrong um but i'm i'm not bored yet um some you know some of the connection between teaching writing and and actually writing is the other way round and i learned things from my students mm. um yeah. and i partly started writing fiction dared to do it at last because I, I was dispensing all this advice gaily to my students and I thought this is pathetic you're not taking the if you can tell them how to do it then you really can dare to do it yourself <laughs> when, when it came to the the child of books built you you obviously had some autobiographical content in there yeah but then you sort of closed the door on sort of what happened after childhood years and you, you sort of opened it up a bit a bit again with unapologetic mm. um in fact, you write that you were a, an atheist for 20 odd years, yeah. having grown up in a church setting. So just sketch out briefly what happened. Why, why did you turn your back on church? Well, I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to respect my own privacy <laughs> the way, in fact, I did in, un in Unapologetic, because it seems to me that um, to write that book, I, I thought, Mark, 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 unprofessional stream so far. Very disappointing. <laughs> well, maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll not. Basically, this this was an excellent conversation, and there's a piece of it that I'm going to clip and put onto Vanderclips because um, he he basic. This is also from the King's North video. You know, we're having the rewilding of Christianity, and that is going to be a very messy business. He, he basically talks about that the fact that every generation has to in some way make the faith its own and it does so by figuring out how christianity and that particular culture actually play together that kind of productive play that verveke likes to talk about and that's very true you know, I, I've I've spent some time watching uh, Malcolm and Simone Collins, and I know some of you are annoyed by them. But then again, the sample of all of you means uh, any given thing I put up on the screen, a certain number of you are annoyed by them anyway. And some of you are annoyed by just about everything. <clears throat> you know who you are. Um, and so I, I just find Malcolm and Simone just fascinating in terms of their making up their their new religion. Um, no matter how heretical, and I hope it doesn't come around to uh, destroy them, because the, the thing about making up your own religion is that it's sort of like 
Dr. Frankenstein making a monster in that uh, it can destroy you. <laughs> but Malcolm and Simone are very interesting. And so I, I threw some clips over in the Vanderclips channel. Um, and those of you who don't know about the Vanderclips channel, it's just a channel where if there's something on YouTube that I see that I find interesting and I have time, I'll usually clip it and I'll just throw it up there. And that way I'll be able to find it later. And often it'll come back into videos. The channel is unmonetized. It's just other people's stuff. It's not clips of my own. I played around with that a little bit, but I got tired of making my own clips because I, I, I hear myself talk enough and I get tired of listening to myself talk. I'm much more interested in listening to listening to others talk. So, you know, this, this blurriness, I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, so I'm so ADHD. See, if I had the branding, I would just throw up branding and then I'd collect myself and get my thoughts together and have something coherent. So that got me to Francis, Francis, what's his name? Spuford, and he's a fiction writer. And so there's some really cool parts of that conversation. And right in there, um, that again, then back to the Paul King's North conversation, and then Nick Cave comes up. And yes, I know, a bunch of you are going to say, I've been telling you forever, Nick Cave, Nick Cave, um, Chad, Byrne, many of you. And, and so, you know, the way this works is you send me stuff, and I look at it, and... Sometimes other people have already sent it to me. Sometimes it's new. But if it's really new, it's okay. It's sort of hard. And so then I went to the Nick Cave unheard conversation and I went to a bunch of the I went to a bunch of the Nick Cave stuff and um, I, I tried listening to a number of interviews. In fact, last night I tried listening to once again tried listening to that unheard interview because everybody's and they're neighbor is telling me, oh, Nick Cave, blah, 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 blah. I never heard of the guy. So I, I just couldn't find a way in. So I thought, you know, he's a musician. So the way into him will be his music. So because I have YouTube Premium, I went to YouTube Music. And if you go to YouTube Music, it, if you go to an artist, it will tell you like the most popular song. So I'll start with the most popular song. We'll crowdsource it. And that's where um, this got this this red hand thing. And it was like, Oh, and that that song grabbed me immediately. And it was like, oh, so then started listening to some more of his songs. And it, it was interesting. Okay, Lance, that, Lance is shocked that I'd never heard of Nick Cave. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. How, how do I, how can I prove a negative? So I'd never listened to him. I didn't know who he was. And, and the sound was interesting because there are some, there are some vibes from kind of the electronic music of the sixties and seventies. His voice sounds a little bit like Jim Morrison as some, has some of that quality. He's a very masculine singer, but the, the words in that song just sort of grabbed me and it was like, Oh, 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 something's, something's going on here. And so, and then, you know, I had, I had also tried to watch the, the sacred podcast or listen to the sacred podcast where he and this other guy are talking and, um, let's see, I got to figure out this, this stream yard is not my, not my native language here. Um, oh, come on, Kindle behave. 
So, oh, no, it's it should be okay. Present, share screen, entire screen, this screen, bang, there it is. Okay. So then, of course, I download the audiobook because it's early in the morning and I don't want to do too much and bother my wife. So I've, I've got some audible credit. So then I download the audible book of this. And to my delight, it's the two people doing it themselves. Ooh, look at the epigraph. A little child shall lead them. Sean O'Hagan, I'm surprised you agreed to do this, given that you haven't done any interviews for a long time. Well, that explains a few things in terms of Justin Brierley and, and the, the other, I don't, sorry, I don't know the name of the woman who Justin Brierley is doing that seen and unseen podcast with, but she's like, they're like, oh, we've been trying to get Nick Cave on for a long time. And it's like, boy, if Justin Brierley can't get him on, um, something's must going on with this guy. And everybody's telling me, well, who wants to do an interview? <laughs> interviews in general suck. Really, they eat you up. I hate them. The whole premise is so demeaning. You have a new album out or a new film to promote or a book to sell. And that's, that's again, part of the reason I do the randos interviews. And I don't like going after people who have done a book. And, you know, if they're a friend, I will definitely do it. But I don't like going after people because you tend to get the same thing. And that's why I, I do make exceptions. I, I would talk to Jordan Peterson on the channel. Yes, I would. Um, you know, I went after Mary Harrington because I found her so interesting and bracing. And I love that conversation with her. I went after Tom Holland because, you know, I, I, yeah, you, you all know how I feel about Tom Holland. I, I love embarrassing him just by glowing too much about him. But so... I really agree with Nick Cage here. The whole premise is so demeaning. You have a new album out. You have a new film to promote or a book to sell. After a while, you get worn out by your own story. I guess at some point, I just realized that doing that kind of interview was no real benefit to me. It only ever took something out. I was always had to recover a bit afterwards. It was like I was going, I was looking for myself again. So five or so years ago, I just gave them up. I, right away, I that's how the book started. I said, yes. <laughs> I am in. <laughs> How do you feel about this undertaking? I'm thinking, what undertaking? I don't even know what this book is about, but the but the title, Faith, Hope, and Carnage? Oh, I'm so in. I do like having a conversation. I like to talk, to engage with people. I've always had a big, sprawling, um, I've always had big, sprawling conversations. Yes, I'm in. So when you suggested it, I was kind of intrigued to see where it would go. So let's see, shall we? When you spoke back in March 2020, your world tour had just been canceled because of the pandemic. I have to say, you sounded remarkably philosophical about it. And it's interesting also in the King's North conversation with Justin Brierley on the Seen and Unseen podcast that he used for the for the, um, for the the feed of the... I should have Justin on and say, how exactly are you doing this podcast? Are you making this up as you go along? Kind of feels that way because you had I and Hersey Ali in recently. It was a strange moment, that's for sure. When COVID hit, my manager, Brian, told me we wouldn't go on tour. I felt this kind of emptying out, like the whole world had dropped out from under me. We all put an enormous amount of thought and effort into how we were going to present Ghostine. Now, he gets into this, this album, Ghostine, a little bit later in the chapter. And I, I tell you, seldom have, have I 
there are times when I read something in a book and it's even more powerful because it's in an audiobook and in his voice. Now he's clearly reading it for the audiobook, which takes a little something out of it rather than a live impromptu conversation. But there were points in this, just in this first chapter, I haven't gotten past the first chapter yet. There are points in this first chapter that I just had to stop because it hit me. We'd all put an enormous amount of thought and effort into how we're going to present Ghostine live. And now Ghostine is, as he says later in the chapter, is the spirit of his lost son. And when I say his lost son, I don't just mean a son who got rebellious and went away and to a far off. I mean a, a son who has died. And and that for him was a was a point where obviously it grabs you. Now, this week in some of my videos, I talked about pain being a megaphone for a lost word, for a for for a deaf world. And that's that's something you really have to be careful. I know that there was a commenter, a personal friend of C.S. Lewis, that I, I heard a recording of him kind of aghast at this line, given the fact of Lewis was very cagey in that he loses his mother when he's six. He is a veteran of the First World War. Lewis obviously carried with him a, a tremendous amount of pain. I think that probably is the best way that and just stupid male youthfulness. We'll get to whole math at some point. Um, he obviously was someone who carried a tremendous amount of pain in him, but he very, very seldom, with the possible exception of a grief observed and a few other places, let the world see his pain. In fact, even in a grief observe, well, especially in Surprised by Joy, um, you know, he points to it. But pain, this, this is a problem with the, this is a problem with, okay, here's Vanderclips. I made two, I made two videos this, added two videos this week to Vanderclips. Um, both of them were from Malcolm Collins. The first one was about the urban monoculture, but, but the second one was about the loss of, of religious tradition. And that one about the urban monoculture, he starts out talking with Chris Williamson about the fact, thank you, Upcycle. And, and I got your Upcycle. So for those of you who are um, supporters at that level of membership. I share with you my cell phone number, which is probably a really crazy thing. Um, and I got your message up cycle, but for a lot of these foreign, foreign countries, it's so American centric for many countries, for my, many countries that are not the U S and Canada, I can't text back on that. So what I'm actually going to do is if you're on WhatsApp, I'm going to take your number and I put it into WhatsApp. I'm going to contact you through there because WhatsApp works a lot better for, I sort of use WhatsApp for my overseas contacts rather than, um, the, the number that I gave for the supporters in, um, in the membership channel. So I did, but I did get your Merry Christmas and I really appreciate it upcycle. So appreciate it. Anyway, back to the story. Pain. One of the things that, well, what did, what did, what did, um, 
what did Collins call it? He calls it like right away here. Oh, okay. Well, it's the, the volume's going to be low. And yes, the, the, the quality of this podcast is, is low, uh, Mark, but uh, here it is. Can't hear it, eh? Crap. Crap, crap, crap. Well, I, I, I clearly need StreamYard lessons. Anyway, th this equating of pain with evil, of suffering with evil, I, I understand why people do that, but it's, it, it's not right. It doesn't work. And, and that gets into the mystery of pain. And of course, I think it's in the, the crucifixion of Christ that that finally gets addressed. And so, I mean, Chad talks about it. Chad talks about it often. This, this strange reality of, the, the strange reality of, Oh, I know how I can get the sound in there. It, it doesn't matter. See, this is this is why I don't make my videos this way because this is what you're seeing right now is how I make the videos, and and that's why eventually I learned to stop it, to pull something up, to have the sound hopefully semi right and do it. But anyway, like Chad will often say things like, you know, his his relationship with his alcoholism is complex because on the one hand, he Chad knows something of hell because of it. We had an awesome little live stream on Grail Country yesterday, if you want to dig that one up, with Luke and Sam and Chad and myself, and then a few others joined in. But at the same time, if he hadn't found, if he hadn't known alcoholism, he wouldn't have known AA and then found Christ and then all of the things that come. And so... I, I think that gets into the relationship with the fall that of, of redemption. Someone recently wrote me a letter. It was a very touching, it was a, it was an email. It was a very touching email where he, like mother Teresa, believed that God just has his back towards him. And, and so redemption for him is a mystery and he desperately wants God and God doesn't, God isn't returning his calls. And that's not an uncommon thing. And, and so then I pointed him to James Scott's biography of Mother Teresa, which is one of the few blurbs, few books out there where I have a blurb on the back because James Scott asked me to write a blurb for it, and I did. The book really touched me. So, so pain is a super complex thing to talk about. It's a super complex thing to talk about. And for, for Nick Cave, there are few pains as great as the loss of a child. And so this ghosting album of his, he talks about later, is he believes sort of the, in some strange way, the spirit of his son inhabits that album. Now, I think materialists would say, oh, that's metaphorical. And, and Brett Weinstein would say, well, that's metaphorical truth, yada, yada, yada. Sam Harris might sneer at it unless you put all kinds of conditions around it. But I, I take this stuff seriously. So in other words, COVID hit. 
Oh, let me let me bring back up. Um, all right. So COVID hits. They did they did a ton of work in terms of getting this thing together. Now I say this with great caution because I know how disappointed the fans were. But to be honest, that feeling of existential collapse, well, it lasted about a half hour. Then I remember saying to my manager's office and thinking something guiltily, you know, should I should I should I say the word? I feel like such a pansy. Uh, fuck, I'm going on tour, and perhaps for an entire year. Suddenly, there was an extraordinary sense of relief, a sort of wave washing through me, a kind of euphoria, but also something more than that, a crazy energy, a sense of potential maybe? Yes, but true potential. Potential as powerlessness, ironically. Not the potential to do something, but the potential not to do something. And again, in the Paul King's North conversation with Justin Brierly, Paul King's North talks about this and the, gotta, what's the name of that woman that they're on this podcast with? Um, uh, Bell Tyndall. There we go. Sorry, Bell. If you're watching this, my apologies for not knowing your name. Um, but, but she said, she made the comment that, you know, at the beginning of COVID, something happened to the world. Planes stopped flying. People stopped rushing. Streets were empty. And, and yeah, there's a cost to that, but there was also a beauty to that. And it was almost as if in this mad, frenetic world, nature and humanity with her took a breath. As it went on, there seemed to be a time that was out of joint. Days were just drifting into each other. Did you feel that? Yes, time seemed altered. It seemed almost wrong to be saying this, but on one level, I really loved the strange freedom it gave me. And I think a lot of people can connect with this. I loved getting up in the morning and having another day where I could exist and not have to do anything. Now, that was not my experience because for some of us, COVID put us into high gear. For others, COVID was a letting up off, off of the accelerator. The phone stopped ringing constantly and very quickly my days became beautifully repetitious. It was oddly like being a junkie again. The ritual, the routine, the habit. Oh, that's so interesting. Now I'm saying this, even though the previous tour where we played Skeleton Tree album live was one of the defining moments in my professional life. Now a little bit later, and at least in a conversation, I think it lay a little later in the chapter, he talked about the transition from skeleton tree to ghosty. Now I haven't listened to most of this music. I've listened to a little bit of his music and I appreciate on Twitter, a bunch of you said, oh, listen to this, listen to that, listen to that. You're sharing YouTube with me and that's really helpful because then I can just find the songs. Being just on that stage every night with that fierce energy coming off the audience. Oh, this guy, I, now I understand why everybody was screaming at me because this guy really has a way of seeing things and pointing them out because that is what an audience gives. That is what a congregation gives for, for those of us who are extroverts and like it to get up in front of an audience. There's a, there's a nervousness, but there's a thrill. And I know public speaking is sort of a huge fear for many people, but for some strange people like me, I love getting up in front of an audience. It's fun. Um, was what Skeleton Tree album was one of the defining moments of my professional life. Just being on that stage every night with that fierce energy coming off the audience, it was difficult to exaggerate the extraordinary feeling of connection. It was life-changing. No, actually life-saving. But it was also seriously punishing physically and mentally, and that's totally true. 
And that's sort of how I feel about these two European trips that I took. And on one hand, they were exhilarating. On the other hand, they're taxing. So when the recent tour was canceled, the initial disappointment was replaced by a feeling of relief. And yes, strange and wayward potential. I felt I feel guilty even saying this because I know how devastating that pandemic had been for many people. From the chats we had back then, it was clear that you sensed early on that the lockdown would be a time for reflection. I instinctively felt that way. I remember feeling it really didn't seem right to try and do performance online from my kitchen or from my bathtub or my pajamas or whatever else that some of the artists were doing back then. All those artless, conspicuous displays of fellow feeling. It felt to me like a moment to sit inside history and just think. I felt chastened by the world. I had a weird reflective time through the COVID summer. I never forgot. I'll never forget it. Sitting on my balcony, reading a lot, writing loads of new stuff, responding to questions on red hand files. I'm going to have to figure out what that is because that sounds very TLC. It was an interesting time despite the constant background hum of anxiety and dread. Now, in an, either in this chapter or in another place, he talks about, I'm always super interested about people's creative process. And for him, he he goes and he writes during office hours. And, and he, that's when he writes his songs. And it's so interesting because... One of the interesting things about a creative process is everybody's different with theirs. For me, part of the reason I know, part of the reason that I don't finish my sentences, I don't finish anything. My wife and I were talking about that this morning. Part of the reason I make these monologue videos is because this is part of my creative process because, I don't know, I just discovered it. And, and it's it's life-giving for me, and it's fun, and that's why I make so many of them, probably way too many of them, but it's 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 super fun, and it gets me into a flow state, and I enjoy it. And the fact that any of you watch this continues to sort of baffle me, and there are plenty of other people out there who have clicked on my f- files and feel the same way about you that I just said, but... Other people a very different. So I asked Spencer Clavin about, you know, how he writes books because I did a podcast with Spencer for his channel. And I was just curious. And I often ask people, you know, what's, what's your creative process? And everybody's different. Some people, um, some people say, I'm going to write 5,000 words a day, or I'm going to spend four hours in my office. I asked the same thing of Greg Hurwitz. So I'm very curious, especially authors, but he kind of goes into his office. Anyway, back to the text. Um, I remember that we were talking on the phone right at the start of the pandemic, and you said, this is a big one. Yes, I think I just read something that really brought home to me the sheer immense power of the virus and how extraordinary vulnerable we all are, now completely unprepared as a society. Now, I know that's going to be seen in a different way because right now the virus is just simply something we live with. And you get COVID. It's just something that you do. It's kind of like getting a cold. And, you know, I've had COVID, I believe I've had COVID three times. And I basically know it's coming because my nose gets a little runny and I have a bit of a headache. And at least the first two times I had fatigue, the second time I didn't even have fatigue. It was just, I feel a little off for a couple of days and then I'm fine again. Now I know for some of you, long COVID, there are people, you know, around here that I know that have long COVID and it's a strange, strange thing. But it's important to remember the early days when, you know, morgues were filling up and they were bringing in freezer units and things like that. I had a video, did a video with a CRC chaplain, a Navy chaplain from Italy. And, you know, it was crazy at first. You and I were both pretty spooked 
by the invisible thing that was outside the door. And I think that was a lot of it, that in this materialist world where we imagine that everything can kind of be measured, that this thing was going. And, and I think that's part of the reason that there was so much desire to develop a test so you can have this little strip and you can, you know, squab your nose and 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 make the little test and say, aha, I have COVID instead of I'm, I'm sick. I don't know what to call it. I'm not going to the doctor. I'm not that sick. But it really did feel like end times had arrived and the world had been caught sleeping. Now, if you read the Bible, that's always how it arrives. Um, just read the Gospels where people will be marrying and giving in marriage. And of course, that gets spun into this idea that some dispensationalists have of the rapture. But it's that that I'd say is sort of metaphorically true, but physically probably not. It, it, it felt as though, however, we had assumed was the story of our lives. This invisible hand had reached down and torn a great big hole in it. And that's... See, and, and that's the day of the Lord. And if you follow my rough draft for Sunday and this next Sunday sermon, which after I finish this live stream, I'll have to make the rough draft for Sunday then too. There's a lot of that, that the day of the Lord comes big and small and it interrupts our lives and nobody, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition and on and on and on. It made me, makes me think of the idea of the disrupted narrative I've heard you talk about in relation to your songwriting, how both the subject and the meaning of your more recent songs have become less straightforward and more elusive. Well, exactly. My songs have definitely become more abstracted, for want of a better word, and yes, less dominated by traditional narrative. At some point, I just grew tired of writing third-person songs that told a structured story that began at the beginning and moved obediently towards their conclusion. I just became suspicious of the form. It felt unfair to inflict these stories on people all the time. It felt like a kind of tyranny. It was almost as if I was hiding beneath these neat manicured narratives just because I was afraid of all the stuff that was boiling away inside of me. I wanted to write, I wanted to start writing songs that were truer somehow and that were authentic to my experience. Okay, authenticity, um, sincerity, authenticity, profilicity. Specifically to your more recent experience, yes. Which was, one, which was one of rupture, I would say. Same as most people's. But purely from a personal point of view, living my life within a neat narrative didn't make much sense anymore. Arthur died and everything changed. That sense of disruption, that disrupted life infused everything. There's the day of the Lord. There's the apocalypse. There's, there's what we in our emissary mind culture want to desperately avoid and it is never avoided it is put off it is held at bay sometimes but at some point it will come crashing through and your aspirations of godhood will be exposed and you will be seen for what you are merely a human being. So well, let's pull up the Bible, shall we? I'm a Christian minister. If I can't read the Bible on my own channel, what can I do? Scholar of nihilism. <laughs> Weird thing with Rick Rubens that he isn't even a musician. Okay, I got to bring this to the correct screen. Okay. 
So yeah, I just had logos working on my sermon. I should probably have. Come on, you can do it. You can do it, window. You can do it. It's on one of these tabs. Oh, it's not Joshua. It's Isaiah. My favorite passages in the Bible. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, this, of course, is pointing to the calamity of Judah and the destruction of the temple. And you can go back on some of my sermons recently where I was talking about this. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, they have this weird scene, which is so, so 60s avant-garde play thing where they have the whole cast in the stands and they're saying um, to, to wake something to the effect of to wake up, you have to fight, you have to be asleep. And, and, and in many ways, C.S. Lewis often points out that you can't, you can't rise again until you are dead. And it's in the wilderness. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become a level, and the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? And this is the word. All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. Oh, that is so perfect. All people are like grass. We're here and we fade. And our faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. You see someone, you see what someone step up and be faithful. You see someone whose who's, who's spouse has been stricken with dementia and, and, and they step up and love them well. You see someone who, you see a child who is stricken and the parent steps up and cares for them. You see the, the parent who is stricken and the child steps up and cares for them. It's like the flower of the field. You look out the field and you see a flower and the whole field is green and it's this bright yellow. But our faithfulness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Yeah, this is getting into some theology here. Surely the people are grass and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Of course, I'm preaching on Mark 1. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty hand. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. That's that's sort of the, the large and in charge God that we're looking for. And, you know, the Romans are here and just, you know, that Antonia, they're, they're inhabiting the Antonia fortress and they want Jesus to just come and smash it, level it with an earthquake. If you can still a storm, you can start a storm. Jesus, can't you cause and can't you focus an earthquake under that fortress and drive out those Romans? 
He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and gently carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And, and, and it goes back and forth. That's what I love about Isaiah 40. It goes back and forth. You have, the, you, have, you have the sovereign Lord comes with power in verse 10. And then in verse 11, he tends his flocks like a shepherd and gently leads those who have young. And, and, and if you're strong and you're moving together as a group and you're hiking, a lot of memories hiking as a kid. And of course, as, as you grow older and you get bigger and stronger, you can keep up with your dad, but then you have younger siblings and you have to stop on the trail and wait because your little sister has to catch her breath. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or who has met, or who with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket and weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Job figured out he couldn't. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? This is just right out of Job. Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they are fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot, and they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the world was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads it out like a tent to live in. And he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground that he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let them meet together at the place of judgment. And on he goes from there. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be as dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. 
we are dust. Our faithfulness is like the flower. Yes, which is one of rupture, I would say. Same as most people's. From, But purely from a personal point of view, living my life with a neat narrative didn't make much sense at all. Arthur died and everything changed. That sense of disruption, of a disrupted life, infused everything. In terms of what you and I are doing here, it is difficult for me to go back, but it is also important to talk about it at some point because the loss of my son defines me. I totally understand. So telling a straightforward story in a song, however dramatic, became altogether less important to you? Yes. But I didn't step away from highly visual songs. It's more that the storylines became more twisted, entangled, mutilated, the form itself more traumatic. My music began to reflect life as I saw it. The day of the Lord had come and his son was taken. That said, the songs on my last few albums are still narrative songs, but the narratives have been pushed through a meat grinder. Ghosting, for instance, is still telling a story. In fact, it's telling a vast epic tale of loss and longing, but it's all busted up and blown away. It's certainly a very different kind of narrative, much more ambitious, even conceptual. Yes, radically different. There's nothing linear about these songs. They shift directions or rupture or worse, atomize before your eyes. The song exists in their own freakish terms, really. I sense that some fans have not been altogether happy where your music has gone. And, and this, this goes to a point of anyone who has lost or lives with trauma that has at least been partially redeemed or at least redemption has touched it, knows this. And, and on one hand, might one might be tempted to say, Well, I wish, I wish, I, I wish I never knew these things. I, I I long for naivete and innocence again. Part of me does, but part of me doesn't. Yeah, there are definitely a number of disgruntled older fans who wish I'd go back to writing so-called proper songs. But I can't see that happening anytime soon. There's a deep nostalgia for the old songs, and it follows our band around like a dozy old dog. That's the negative nostalgia that Verveke is pointing to. But nostalgia is more complex. I sense the bad seeds have been around for so long and undergone so many iterations that some people feel very attached to the past, and more precisely, to their own pasts, to the so-called better days. And, th and that's true about music. I mean, music is this funny thing that bonds with us and becomes part of us. I've told the story a number of times. I go to the hospital. <laughs> it's often the case that people who used to be a member of the church and then they left the church and they go, don't go to any church. And then the day of the Lord comes to their house. There's a crisis in their life. And they reach out to me. They didn't leave the church because they didn't like me. They just left the church because it just didn't seem to be 
fitting them. And maybe that's my fault. I don't know. But of course, then they call me and they say, he's dying. And so I get down to the hospital and I go into the room and he is dying. But sometimes people die, you know, they're on morphine and they're sedated and the whole family is sitting there and they're mostly sleeping. And every now and then they say something and everybody's just watching the chest go up and down and they're looking for breath. That wasn't this. His body was spasming and they basically had him restrained and it was awful. So with a situation like that, the family is not lovingly around the bed listening to music. They are in the waiting room in agony and this brother and sister stand up and embrace each other and they start singing Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. And I think both of you were raised in church. Both of you were filled with Christian music. But this is the song that binds the two of you. Christians might feel offended, but lay your fence aside and learn. So the idea that we would make a different kind of music seemed to them like a kind of betrayal almost. And I understand that in a way, but you can't allow the nostalgic or sentimental impulses of certain longtime fans to hold back the natural forward motion of the band. Thankfully, there are so many people who are eager to journey with us to experience the lovely discomfort and danger that comes from attempting something new. For me, the push away sky which you released in 2013, seemed with hindsight to signal what was to come with certain songs like Higgs, Boson Blues, or Jubilee Street sounding somehow looser and less linear. Would you agree? Well, it's certainly, it's certainly important because that's when Warren and I started writing music together. Creatively, that was a seismic change for me and not something I ever expected to happen. To have an actual songwriting collaborator with whom I had deep, deep synchronicity. It was a radical change that came out of my frustration with the traditional way of doing things, which was to write a song and present it to the band. Could we talk about ghost, how Ghostine was made, particularly the creative dynamic between you and Warren? I suppose the big change was that by the time you wrote Ghostine, Warren and I were purely, impro were purely impro improvising. I would play the piano and sing, and Warren would play electronics, loops, violin, and synth, with neither of us really understanding what we were doing or where we were going. Ah, this is flow stating. We were just falling into this sound, following our hearts and our understanding of each other as collaborator towards this newness. We spent days playing more or less nonstop. They are, this is a deeply spiritual process. Then there were more days of sifting through it all and collecting the bits that sounded interesting. And in some instances, that, that was maybe just a minute of our music or a, a single line. After that, it was really about constructing songs from these lovely disparate parts. Our editing process was akin to a collage or kind of musical assemblage. Then we'd work at building songs on top of that. It sounds, I dare say, like there was an element of winging it involved. Now, this part really grabbed me. There are parts of this first chapter that just I thought, wow. Because this is sort of like preaching for me. Because 
I don't wing it. Now, there are many times I can wing it. And there are sometimes when you have to wing it because you have you you haven't had any time to prepare. You didn't even know what you were walking into, and now suddenly stand and perform. But most of the time, I don't want to do that. I want to, but but it's never just sort of. I, I don't work from a manuscript. No, that's really not the case. We weren't just two guys who didn't know what we were doing. There's a deep intuitive understanding between the two of us. And of course, 25 years of us working together, it's an informed improvisation, a mindful improvisation. By mindful, do you mean meditative or considered? I mean that it's intuitive, but also considered, if that makes sense. In terms of the lyrics, I'm never improvising from scratch. That's important to stress. Having done a tremendous amount of thinking about the project, I come to the studio with loads of ideas and enormous amounts of written words, most of which, by the way, are discarded. And that's exactly like my videos. Nonetheless, there is always what you might call a lyrical context. And there are also certain dominant or overarching themes that have preoccupied me in the weeks or months leading up to the sessions. It's a very liberating way to work. And I, I read this and I thought, wow, yes, I totally understand this. So to be clear, you're not improvising in the way jazz musicians improvise on a melody or theme. No, it's more that we're trying to arrive at a formal song through the perilous process of, improv of improvisation to stumble upon form through musical adventuring. I think that might be key, that we are actually using a kind of mutual unknowing in an attempt to catch songs. So now we're getting into some of um, Verveke's Plato project and this 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 unknowing in, in, in the process in order to know. And that's actually part of what I think freezes churches and makes them missionally infertile. Because there's not a sufficient respect for the unknowing. And so the, um, the prescriptions they write for hurting people are just simply too tight. I imagine that process could go <laughs> awry in the wrong hands. Well, it does much of the time, even in the right hands. <laughs> but you only need 10 songs, 10 beautiful, breathtaking accidents to make up a record. You have to be patient and alert to the little miracles nestled in the ordinary. Ah, yes. One of Warren's singular talents is to be able to hear the potential in something that is unformed and in its infancy. He's amazing in that regard. He hears things in a wholly unique way. One of the pieces we worked well together is because I have the ability to see words weaving themselves around a piece of unformed music, tying it together, making sense of it. It's a visual thing to see the song, to give it a rich narrative intent. So, when you're working in this way, do you spend hours in the studio meticulously editing lyrics? No, never. I'm so glad he said that because there are some of you that do. There are writers and there are editors. And I know writers who are just, just flow state writers. And I know writers who are editors. They birth something and they work it, work it, work it, work it, work it, work it until it's perfect. And both are completely legitimate ways of creating, but... Some of us aren't that way. <laughs> when I'm working on the songs at home, they take 
a long time to write, a lot of thought and real care and dedication to the form. But when we're in the studio, I'm a butcher who is happy to cut the legs off a treasured lyric in a heartbeat. In a way, the lyric lose their concrete value and become things to play with, dismembered and reorganized. I'm actually very happy to have arrived at a place where I now have an utter ruthless relationship with my words. Wow. I have to say, it sounds like quite a brave, even reckless way for a songwriter to work. Well, improvisation is essentially an act of acute vulnerability, but it's also a path of creative freedom to wild adventure in, with th in which things of true value can often emerge through musical misunderstandings. Our improvisation is rarely harmonious. It's often a struggle for dominance, but then suddenly it just falls together for a moment or two, a bit like warring lovers. So if you look at um I I I've got all this muscle memory. I was going to pause, pull up the book, Matthew McConaughey's Green Light book and read to you the relationship between his father and his mother. That's that image right there. But because I'm live streaming this and I have no branding, you know, it's, you'll just have to take the mention and you can go do your own digging and looking. I won't provide it for you in this video. Temperamentally, the two of you are quite different, I guess. Yes, but we're usually in tune with each other, even though we are coming at times from very different directions. A little thing can nag at me and put me off the whole song, whereas Warren's always looking at the bigger picture. Ha, 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 ha. Master and the emissary, right and left brain, back and forth, Ian McGilchrist. He's much more instinctive than me. He can see the beauty of things earlier than I can. It's a great gift. But you also have to understand that Warrens doesn't really care about lyrics in the way I do. He's much more interested in emotion, sound, and music. So Warren is the master and Nick is the emissary and they're working together at this. From early on, he'll be saying, this is fucking amazing, whereas I'm really un uncertain right up to the wire. Ah, see, Master and his emissary. The, the Warren and Nick are working together. It just takes a lot longer to arrive at a song. Somehow that difference sets up the right kind of dynamic. Given that you have such an investment in getting the words right, that's the emissary brain, is it accurate to say that this is a process of discarding and dismantling while liberating may not work for certain types of songs, ballads, let's say? Well, you couldn't do it with Hal David Lyric or indeed some of your own songs. I don't know any of these songs, so I just found the guy. No, that's true. But I've made over 20 albums and I can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. And that's very true of creative people. And that's why I very seldom recycle a sermon. You will hear my ideas get cycled through things again and again. But I I get bored quickly with myself mostly, and you know I I had a conversation with my wife yesterday, and you know I mean part of what happens is that during the school year she's so busy with her classroom that you know we're sort of doing her own thing. But then when there's a break, sometimes she realizes that I'm I'm all over the place, and then something comes up, and she's like, "Where did this come from?" And it's like, I cycle through a ton of stuff. 
So then she's like, well, I want to know more what you're cycling through. It's like, okay, you know, I, I'm not going to give you the fire hose. That's kind of the YouTube channel. Actually, the YouTube channel is, is really a garden hose compared to the fire hose that is here. Um, but I'll, 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 I'll give you a few drops along the way. So I sent her the Nick Cage song this morning. And, um, but anyway, so it's, you do this stuff long enough and um, you just, you just, you get, you get addicted to the muse. I'll say it that way. You get addicted to the flow state. You have to operate at least some of the time in the world of mystery beneath that great and terrible cloud of artistic unknowing. The creative impulse in me is a form of bafflement and often feels dissonant and unsettling. It chips away at your own cherished truths about thing, pushes against your own sense of what's acceptable. It's the guiding force that leads you to where it wants to go. It's not the other way around. You're not leading it. I really sensed that when I first heard Ghosting. I'm not sure that I what I was expecting, but it really took me by surprise. It was such a conceptual leap. Well, I'm glad to hear that. We were locked into such an intense, often mystifying way of working when we made it. The atmosphere in the studio was extremely, I don't know, concentrated. It's thick. Unsettling and strange. I don't know if I can ever really articulate it fully, but I do think the great beauty of ghosting ultimately lies in the tenuous grip Warren and I had, not only on the songs themselves, but on our own sanity. It does sound like that, but in a good way. While Warren was in a strange place at the time, plagued by his own problems, again, pain is a megaphone for a deaf world. My, my, my wife would talk sometimes about people who had golden lives, and these were people that their emissary seemed to be working well for their life, and everything that they planned came about, and all of their endeavors seemed to succeed, at least from the outside, at least a sufficient majority of them, so that everyone else looking at them would say, well, this person is getting exactly what they want. So when you're a pastor, you work in these churches and you meet people from other churches. And every now and then you spot a saint. Now, there's a double sense to this for Protestants. You know, the church is filled with saints. I get that. But every now and then there's an exceptional person who shows this, some of these, some, some of this incongruity that holy people have. They are both strong and tender. This is, again, Tim Keller's um, that he gets from Jonathan Edwards. I like calling it incongruous excellencies. And that's, of course, what shines out about Jesus, is why Jesus continues to be fresh for every generation, at least for those who seek him. And, and even for those who fear him. <laughs> Paul King's North. Watch the King's North Briarly thing. I've never met a person whose faith I really respected who hadn't been broken and sometimes horribly mangled by pain. It could be something in their life. It could be the death of someone. It could be an addiction. But I, I often say, God, 
God is, if you think of God like a mechanic, he is hard on his tools. That's what Jesus keeps saying about the prophets. He is hard on his tools. And, and, and the tools that God uses don't sit in some suburban garage that they were gifts from a well-meaning spouse who hoped her husband would, you know, do more around the house. These are the kind of tools that someone who really works and really builds uses every day. And these tools, sort of like the Velveteen Rabbit, these tools they have the fur worn off of them. Well, Warren was in a strange place at the time, plagued by his own problems. I was trying to, well, I don't know, contact the dead, I guess. It was a strange, haunted time, never leaving the studio, working, trying to sleep, working, trying to sleep. And out of that confusion came this weird, beautiful, holy music. That spiritual intensity is palpable. There is such a heightened, almost exalted feel to the music on that record. There were spirits in the air, that's for sure. <laughs> I knew there were making something that was powerful and moving and original. I was sure of it. Whereas Skeleton Tree made little sense to me, even when listening to it all the way through for the first time in the studio. It was too close to the time of my son's death for me to feel anything or to reason clearly. That's understandable. And yes, it's interesting that I can still listen to Ghostine in, well, a kind of awe. Given how radically different Ghostine was from what came before, did you intentionally have any trepidation about how it could would be received? You can never predict how people will react. That's true. I find that on YouTube all the time. You can never predict how people are react. That's why I read the comments because y'all are reacting and it's fascinating and it's really interesting. You know, especially the more I get to know some of you, you know, you think you kind of can track with someone, you have a mental map of them, and then they say something. It's like, where did that come from? And that makes you all the more interesting. Anselman, you in Gaza and Israel. Oh. Yeah, people would pay to, to hear the Anselman Randos conversation. I know it. We're stalking you, man. You can only hide for so long. You never can predict how people will react, but I guess I did expect it to be divisive to some degree. I was on tour when we did a kind of a preview on YouTube with some beautiful accompanying graphics. I remember I started reading the early online comments. I don't know what I was thinking, but they were so bad. I mean, truly awful. This is shit. Nick Cave, art, rest in peace, vomit emojis and stuff like that. See, the negative comments have their place. People who shut off comments are weenies. You know, look at the comments or get off of YouTube. So I thought the record, I thought for the record was just going to fall off in a fucking black hole, but it was very painful. Then the reviews came in and the tide shifted as if people were changing their mind the more they listened and connected to it. And it felt much, and it pretty much stayed like that. Critically, it was well received. It's quite difficult to describe the atmosphere of that record without resorting to words like wonder and joy, which paradoxically diminish it somehow. What was really exciting lyrically was that I was able to find lines through imp improvising in the studio that I could never have found by writing songs in my office alone at my desk. It was quite beautiful. 
It's very spiritual. The spirit is between us. Okay, so give me an example of a line that could you could have only arrived at in that way. Well, an obvious example would be when I speak, sing, and I love you over and over on spinning song, and then follow it with peace will come. I could never have actually written something like that down on a piece of paper. Yet it is perhaps my favorite moment in that record. And again, that's part of the reason why I do these videos. I am definitely thinking of getting a teleprompter, not that I can read scripts, but that when I do conversations, I can actually look at the people and not look to the side. But there's something about this that allows things to emerge that wouldn't emerge. But there's also something about the other. And I really do have to, I really, at some point I have to write because I've just put out so much into the world that something has to organize it and 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 preserve some of it, at least find out what's good. Before those lines would never have made it into an actual song, not in a million years. There wouldn't have been a place for them. And even if it had been, I don't think I would have had the nerve or confidence to sing them. Those lines are so sudden and raw. Yes, and also sound spiritually ecstatic. Well, initially, I had a song lyrical idea for the record that was very much based on the series of ecstatic images. I saw the record as a series of highly visible connecting images. I actually saw it. This is fascinating. Do you mean that it came to you in a vision? Oh, we're so secular. A vision? A vision? How dare you? People have visions all the time, people. Some of them are little. Some of them are bold. This chapter is very apocalyptic. I had a persistent mental image of a man standing on a beach surrounded by panicking animals. The hills were on fire and there were screaming animals racing back and forth. Sea creatures leaping out of the ocean and a spiral of spirit children that climbing up to the sun. Revelation much? It was wild. Re it was a wild, recurring hallucination, part horror, part bliss, and somehow embedded within my imagination. I'd lie in bed at night and see these images filing by one after another. Was this before you started writing the songs? I may have actually, I may have written a few rough lyrics, but it was certainly long before I started making the record. In fact, I actually wrote a long, wildly descriptive letter to my brother Tim was not someone I normally have the opportunity to discuss creative ideas with, but I was excited. I told him that I had seen the record and that it would be centered around a hallucinatory image of wild animals on fire running up and down a beach and a dark force, part Leviathan, part child beneath the sea and children ascending into the sun. Yeah, I'm in. He thought I was kind of funny, you know. The mad ambition of it all. So in the studio, did you essentially set out to describe or evoke those visionary images? Yes, for me, the images were really the starting point for the whole thing, and they remained central to the meaning of the record. It's intriguing to me that you began from images rather than words, from visual rather than the written. Yes, it does seem to be the case that of the late, the single radiant image has become more compelling than the narrative itself. The extremely vivid, solitary image at the heart of a song, or indeed several songs. And by allowing that central image to occur in more than one song, are you somehow foregrounding your lyrical preoccupations for the listener? 
Now that you mention it, yes. For me, the repetition of an image or a series of images that follow the songs around and change meaning, depending on the context, is a big part of the reason that the record has has that strange, uncanny feeling. It's an inbuilt feeling of deja vu almost and a sort of building of intention. The songs feel as if they are in conversation with each other. Really what I am aiming for at Ghosting, though, was the creation of a single moment that was being looked at from various different points of view. I didn't quite get there, though. At this point, I was thinking, wow, this is Book of Revelation, creative flow. How does this work? I had sort of forgotten Arthur. And then the next next part of the book made me lay down. What was that moment? I'm not even sure. Maybe it's more that there seemed to be a singular impulse at work, and the songs looked at that impulse from a different point of view. I think Ghosting was essentially an epic story created from a contained memory, a contained moment, that is very difficult for me to describe. It's an ecstatic spiritual declaration um, declaration emerging out of an ordinary moment. Okay. So in an ordinary moment rather than an epiphany of some kind. This is so beautiful because the ordinary, he shines through all that's fair. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Flee from him in terror. The whole earth is full of his glory. Yes, and perhaps the central image is a static one. Static because that's, if you read The Body Keeps the Score, so often what happens with trauma is it creates a static image that we can't process. And that static image sort of acts like a rock in a stream. And you're going to have a rapids because of it. The line in the spinning song that goes, you sitting at the kitchen table listening to the radio. This line is, of course, unremarkable as an image, but to me it is anything but ordinary because it is the last memory I have of Susie before the phone rang with news that our son had died. It is a commonplace image, but for me it's transcendent because it's the last unbroken memory of my wife. Essentially, ghosting rises out of that moment of peace, of calm, of simplicity before everything shattered. And it's quite hard to explain, but I think that comes close to it. I had to lay down after reading that sentence. There are lines on ghosting where the imagery seems so vivid and dreamlike that it's as if you are channeling your unconscious thoughts or dreams or maybe accessing another part of your consciousness. Oh, we love these words. I'm glad we're talking about this because they're mysterious to me also, but they are at the very heart of what I do now as a songwriter. As I said, I had these wildly vivid images in my mind long before I made Ghostine. Then when I started writing at home, Other more solid images presented themselves, a guy driving his car through fire, a feather spinning upwards, a remembered moment at a hotel in New Orleans where Susie and I conceived our children, Jesus in the arms of his mother, the Leviathan moving beneath the water. These were the images that kept emerging, echoing each other as I was writing. 
If you look at my notebooks, these explicit imagings recur over and over again. Roadkill rising from its own blood. The three bears, a mother washing her child's clothes. They became the framework that the record was hung upon. They recur throughout the record alongside the idea of the migratory spirit, the ghostine that passes from image to image and from song to song, threading them together. For me, the record became an image were imagined world where Arthur could be. Where could you evoke his spirit, perhaps? Well, I think ghosting, the music and the lyrics, is an invented place where the spirit of Arthur can find some kind of haven or rest. Sean, this idea is as fragile and as open to question as an idea can be. But for me personally, I think his spirit inhabits this work. And I don't even mean that in a metaphorical way. I mean that quite literally. I'll forgive the use of the word. It isn't an idea I have articulated before, but I feel him roaming around the songs. It makes me think of Inception. It is not an imaginative projection? Much more than that. No, not imaginative, literal. But this is a whispering intuition, and as an idea easily dismantled, I don't know it's kind of hard to talk about. I can imagine that. For me, songs like Sun Forest or Hollywood seem close to dream songs. Yes, I can see that, but I don't think they are in any way surrealistic, which is what the term dream song immediately suggests. There's a precise meaning behind even the most fractured images that end up in the finished songs. And as a whole, they are a collection of images tightly knitted together to form a sort of impossible realm. So it's absolutely important to me that I find the meaning behind the appearance of a particular image. Yeah, some of you are going to buy this book. <laughs> and a bunch of you. I got, Maybe I'm the last guy to not know about this guy or this book, but I, 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah, that 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 rocked my world this morning. So I had to do a live stream. And I've already spent an hour and 20 minutes of it just reading a book. Uh, I was reading, sorry about that. Um, I know some of you are coming in late. And I mean, what a title. Faith, Hope, and Carnage. When, when I heard the title of the book, I knew I had to have it. Because a title like that, yeah. Faith, hope, and carnage. Faith, hope, and carnage. Wow. All right. I should get on to some other things. Um, let's see. Let's go to the studio. Let's look at the content. Let's share the screen. Sam. Oh, let's let's talk first about. Let's talk first about. Um, Homath. <laughs> Sam's comment. Jordan disapproves atheism by letting Sam demonstrate how boring it is. <laughs> it's a great comment, Sam. I would I would pin it, but everyone has already pinned it by upvoting it. Um, yeah, I met Homath 
And um, Homath is an interesting channel. Um, uh, Christian YouTube. So boring. I know some people want me to do things like Christian YouTube, but I find it so boring. I, I so and so home athletic left a comment, you know, he doesn't like uploading. No, I'm not gonna upload your stuff. I'm not that kind of channel. And I'm so freaking ADHD, I might forget about you six months from now, but enough of you know about this channel because of the marriage crisis. And the thing is, and Rod and Catherine and Eamon and I have to get back on that horse. Um, but, and I completely understand and remember what it was like being a young man in a culture that, who, who one of its principal idolatries is romance. And so if you're a young man, you've already got, You've already got testosterone through your veins. Um, you're saturated with sexual images now, thanks to the internet. Pornography is ubiquitous. Oh, by the way, um, oh gosh, can I pull it up? Grim Grizz. I can yeah, I'll just pull up my um. So again, for those of you who want to know, um, you know, my, I keep my file cabinet online somewhere between Vanderclips and leadingchurch.com. The dark legacy, enduring legacy of friends. Grim Grizz keeps talking about friends as normalizing porn. And I, you know, Grim Grizz has said that, had said that often. And um, I, I was a little bit late. I never watched much friends. And then when New Girl came and I saw what was on New Girl, I was shocked just how mainstreamed sexual practice was on American sitcoms. And yeah, it, it sort of came in with friends. And, but then there was also this, um, oops, uh, you guys can't hear it. There's this news story about a university chancellor fired, not for watching porn, but for making porn. And I thought this, of course, is one of these liberationist um, goals to have sex work be normalized. And of course, OnlyFans is is kind of doing that. And so, so whole math is, is sort of in that sort of in that same sort of in that same field because you've got young men who have not yet settled into a long-term stable relationship with a woman. Now, ideally, that relationship would be a marriage till death do you part. And for all of you young men still in this position, I totally get the mystery that are women. I mean, and if you have trouble understanding women when you're just trying to find a girlfriend, wait until you marry one. <laughs> That's what I've got to say to you. But we married men can't make channels like this. <laughs> you have to kind of put it out there quietly. 
So, but there's, but to me, one of the, one of the most interesting things about whole math wasn't just all of the, because you can find all the whole math stuff in the Jordan Peterson, Sarah Hill conversation. There's a bunch of that. And yeah, women are more complex and women are mysterious. And so I, I, you know, yeah, I can, I can derive, I can derive benefit watching whole math and learning some psychology. I found his embrace of sort of the integral levels i found that very interesting and it, it, was, it was it's a it's a very it's a very clever channel it's probably not a channel that's going to keep my interest because of course um i'm not in that position in my life where i'm frustrated by not being able to get a girlfriend at this point in my life a girlfriend would be a disaster <laughs> In many ways, a girlfriend is the last thing that I want. <laughs> I've already got a wife and wives and girlfriends. If they're not the same person, it doesn't go together well. So, but anyway, it was an interesting channel. And and there are other men out there who have, and you know who you are, who have in many ways mastered the art of getting girlfriend. And in fact, you've had girlfriends and you've had you know, I really liked some of his things. He had these, um, you know, he has like the the keeper, the sleeper, and the sweeper. I thought that was really clever. And many of you have had sleepers and sweepers, and you might have even had some keepers, and they've gone by the wayside. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's, yeah, me with a girlfriend. That's funny. Oh, oh, Grizz, 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 Grizz. I don't know why. I do know why Grizz doesn't have a million subs um, because he's he's hard to keep up with. But um, yeah, I uh... <laughs> burn. You're still awake. <laughs> so yeah, we can talk about home math. We can talk about Nick Cage, and we can talk about um, Sam Harris. And I know you know some of you. Are sick of hearing about Sam Harris, but uh, yeah, does that, do I get triggered by Sam Harris? Yes, but um, yeah, there it is. So I dropped the link. Um, if you want to come in and chat, let's come in and chat. And uh, I didn't know. I I thought of you. I thought of you, uh, Burn. If maybe you know, because time wise, Burn is on the other side of the world from me, so the time zones don't always work out well. And you know, so burn, burn is burning the midnight oil to actually be watching this live stream. But um, so, yep. So if anybody wants to come in, if you want to ask a question, put either do a super chat or put all caps. StreamYard is supposed to somehow try to integrate Twitter. And so people can leave uh, tweets and that, those will come in to hear. Um, so I don't know how that works. I haven't been reading the comments because obviously I can't read two things at once. So yeah, the body count thing with girls of my age is what bothers me. Did, are there? Oh, Twitter comments stand out, don't they? Okay, Grim has it down. Yeah, Mark was, I noticed Mark was playing with it yesterday. So um, StreamYard is working. There's also Streamlabs, which is integrated with my little Stream Deck thing, and Streamlabs is free. So 
when my in March my StreamYard subscription runs out, then I might play with some of these other things. So, um, can someone agree with me that Sam Harris looks a bit like? <laughs> There's a lot of Sam Harris hate out there, and I'm not um. Uh, up, 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 up. Here they all come. But now, all good. Here's Burn. Those of you who don't have cameras on, um, you're not getting in because I was in the game. Up, 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 up. Here they all come. But now, all good. Here's Burn. Oh, you got to mute, Grit. You got to mute yourself, Burn. Done. Okay. So, uh, Nick Cave, <laughs> it's about time. I said, <laughs> I sent you links about the book last no not this November, but November twenty-two. <laughs> I was reading the book then. But you're busy. I understand. So uh yeah, not trying to colonize, just little little remarks. <laughs> so, so um anything you want to add? Because you're not alone. I first ran into Nick Cave. Almost literally. Uh, I had friends in New York City when I lived there in 1982. And I had a very good friend named Tom who went and saw him, said it was the most scabrous, dangerous show he'd ever been to. It was his group, The Birthday Party, which immediately made me say, oh my goodness, what's going on here? And uh, the... And, and like people, he would hit people with the bottom of the mic stand. That's how over the edge he was. If you watch uh, the birthday party video for Fears of Gun, he's screaming the words, fingers down the throat of love, as if someone's pulling up a grappling hook out of his throat. He's just like, ah! Ah! he's just out of his mind. This is why I immediately said, I got to pay attention to this guy because it was a case of me thinks he protests too much. And I said, he is so far. Now, my friend went backstage and met him uh, with another friend. And he said, totally out of his mind on heroin. Absolutely, you know, alcoholic heroin just a complete mess. And yet this brilliant guy, my friend, you know, and so I bought uh, all the birthday party records at that time. And I just said, and, and I have a book of all of his lyrics from that part. And he has like songs like uh, Big Jesus Trash Can. <laughs> and so I was just, okay, who is this? I need the, uh, to me, he was, the furthest over the edge of any performer I had ever heard of at that time. Uh, there were other people doing stuff like cutting themselves and stuff, but he seemed like the real thing. He, he seemed to be like this guy that was just so far, he understood the implications of what the punk scene meant. Um, I don't think he, he was see, seeing himself that way as much as he was just living it. And then, um, about a year later or so, I think it was 83, 84, he came out with his first album, a solo album. And I immediately noticed a change. Evidently, the birthday party band was so, so I mean, it was just a, a loose collection of four guys who were all just like completely living on the edge, with Nick being one of the worst. But there was also 
a bass player named Tracy Pugh, who ended up dying a couple years later of a heroin overdose. I mean, these, these are the guys Nick was a part of. And then in his, his solo album, I started feeling something very different happening. There is a song on there. This is, again, 1983, called A Box for Black Paul. <laughs> and uh, he was basically saying that he was singing the song, and it was like a weird crucifixion. It was like this, you got the feeling, you, you almost felt like it was like the final scenes from Jesus Christ Superstar or something, but done in this really slow, strange, menacing way. And he had another song there uh, from Her to Eternity, where he was talking, evidently he had a relationship that was going bad, and that sounded really painful. In fact, all the song, songs sounded painful, but, but, honest. Then the next album came out, and I said, ah, he's really on the journey now. And because what he did was he started... Uh, he sang a song about the old blues man, Blind Lemon Jefferson. He did another song that was based on a sea shanty. He did one that was based on uh, chain gang music, and I knew all the references. And I immediately said, ah, anyone who starts digging into that stuff is going to run straight into gospel music. He's going to run straight into, you know, this, this old blues stuff has so much spiritual content in it. And that's exactly what happened. So within a few albums, and I remember reading an interview with him about 1986 or so when he was saying things like, I don't understand why people laugh at Tammy Wynette's Stand By Your Man. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a, an honest song from an honest perspective. And I said, I really like this guy now. And, I, and from what I heard, it took him 20 years to clean up his heroin addiction. Wow. And uh, he evidently was a maintenance guy after a while where he just had to get enough. But he tells a story, I think it's in that book or in one of the interviews that he does as a, uh, no, it was, it's in that book where he tells a story where he's in Paris and, and he's just arrived there, but he has no connection and he's starting to go nuts. But this was only, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. Uh, it, it wasn't that long ago. But soon he's starting to do songs like Mercy Seat, which is filled with biblical imagery. He's doing one song called New Morning, which sounds like a hymn. This is about 1990. Then he put out a, a couple of lectures he gave on songwriting, but also on the, uh, his perspective of God. And at that time, I started seeing... He's very platonic in the way he talks about God. And what's happened between that time, the early 90s period, and up until the point his son died, his first son died, this book ends just as his second son dies. He lost two sons? Two. And so what I highly recommend is going and watching the unheard uh, interview with him. Yeah, I started watching that last good. night, but I, I, I learned. I very quickly saw. I don't know. I don't know enough. Well, you don't. Know. Well, I gave you three videos to watch. That just one will be the absolute depth of despair. The next one will be in his biblical image period, and then the next one is all the way over there on the other side. And it's been a long, 
long process. I actually met him briefly once. I have a very good friend in New York City, a different friend, who took me over. He, you know, because of his honesty, he really has a devoted but not huge following. I mean, it's it's enough to sustain a very good career and to give him, you know, maybe six thousand seat audiences wherever he goes. But he's certainly <laughs> he's certainly no Taylor Swift. So well, I, I uh, never heard I never heard of him. It's Nick Cave, and I the people are like, oh, Nick Cave. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I figured that's what, when I sent you a message, I'm sure Nick Cave didn't register at all. Or if it did for a second, it was like, musician? I don't know him. But he's really become important. And what I realized when we were, you know, a few years back, when, you know, we started talking about the meaning crisis and, and people like uh, Peterson and all this, I said, Paul really should know who Nick Cave is. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cave's been in this zone for a long time. And and sometimes he he says, you know, like he'll be asked, "Are you a Christian?" And he'll say things like, "Well, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and talks like a duck," <laughs> you know, he'll say these things. He's Australian, of course, but uh, no, I highly highly uh, uh, recommend spending time. There's just so much in his uh, work uh, to do, but start with the three parts of his career, you know, so that, that's my feeling. All right. I'll look up. Did you send those to me on, on Twitter so I can go back and find yeah, them yeah. on the DM? Yeah. Okay. All right. They're not, in your D, they're not in your DMs. They're just on your page. So they're on your normal profile page. They're on, I, you, you, there, you know, you sent, you put out a little, uh, thing uh oh, oh, mentioning oh, oh, yeah. yeah they're on I twitter you, they're you notified me on twitter so i can find them there a lot of people yep. they're recommended. okay okay i mean if you want i'll send them on your dms but no you know. no that's fine i can find them on okay. the on the twitter stream pete how's it going theology how are you i'm doing well can you guys hear me okay yeah we hear you great okay great some people don't know pete has a channel pete why don't you tell people about your channel I have a channel. It's called Strange Theology. We look at uh, theology as it pops up in strange places. One of those places happens to be the Bible. I think that um, some people, I, one, something you were saying earlier, Paul, made me think of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And I feel like we've just sort of almost subconsciously been all reading the Thomas Jefferson Bible. It's like every time the miracles show up, you know, you're talking about this guy and his visions and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that happens in the Bible. People have visions. It's strange but right. it's there doesn't so. just happen in the bible doesn't just happen in the bible that's people true. still have visions that's true that's true they just don't talk about them in public because right people they're worried someone might put a straight jacket on them yeah um, and this this kind of takes me to this the conversation with this guy nick um sorry is cave. it cage cave 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 um because because something in that you know it's like are we have we sort of watered down things enough that when someone gets really, really honest, you know, he was talking about his music and if it wouldn't appeal to a certain audience, basically, once he got really, really honest. And I feel like that's such a shame that that is true sort of within, I don't know, I call it sort of normie evangelical Christianity, but um, yeah, that some people experience that, that that honesty isn't allowed maybe or something weird 
Well, if you, so I'll speak as a pastor of the church because pastors are, are regular, um, re pastors are regularly guilty of this. If you are dealing with a group of people, wild is difficult because groups find wild disruptive and they bring chaos into a group. And so pastors are often, they know the wild people in their church and they're usually trying, I mean, if you have a wild sheep, right. you have a problem in the pen. And right. so part of what happens with um, civilization is domestication. But as we've seen, let's say with seed, you, you, you need to do some domesticating, but if you domesticate too much, it's sort of like the chaos and order thing. Right. If you domesticate too much, you lose your future because all you do is you have all of these domesticated animals that are like hot house tomatoes right. or domesticated animals that are going to be fall prey to wolves and so on and so forth. And as cultures continue to move through, you need that wild stock to help the the herd continue to update its genetics to engage the context around it. And that's the missional challenge. And that's part of the reason miss, the missional work almost always spins out heresy. Right. But heresy <laughs> and orthodoxy basically co-emerge because you're not going to know what the truth is until you've you've begin to you've begun to see what things aren't working. Right. So, so we need, we sort of need that environment that will, cause I, cause I feel like there's, there's a, there's a, there's a quick sort of, um, trigger when it comes to that sort of, uh, pushing or, or like you're saying this wild seed, right? Because what happens is you become vulnerable to parasites if you're not genetically diverse. Yep. And, and it's almost like our thinking, our theology can sort of be vulnerable to sort of these parasites yep. if we're not incorporating yep. some of that stuff that stretches us. So this is what the philosopher does. And I think that sort of theology and philosophy. This is what the musician does. Well, and, the and musician, someone and like the Nick poet, Cave yeah. does. I mean, exactly. listen to what exactly. Byrne just said about yeah. him. It's like, exactly. Exactly. yeah, he's, and, and I just, so I just pulled up the top thing in his YouTube thing was, you know, he's dropping F-bombs and I'm just thinking, yeah, this is going to make people squirm, <laughs> but you need it in, in the community. Yeah. 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 So, so Chad, are you also mad at me because I didn't listen to you before and here I, I come late to the game? No, no, I just, there's a lot of things that I talk about that people just kind of overlook because this weirdo is talking about it. You know, <laughs> it, might, it. It might have a lot to do with the overselling too, actually. Because if you're like me and somebody says, you got to listen to this, I'm like, screw that. I'm not listening to that. <laughs> You know. It's like when they challenge you to jump off the rock into the lake. It's like, jump, do it, do it. Then you don't want to jump for some reason. I had this yeah, whole he... issue with uh, with uh, the Game of Thrones. Everybody's like, you got to watch the Game of Thrones. I'm like, I'm not going to watch the stupid Game of Thrones. And then like three years in, I was like, watch. I watched everything else. And I finally came to Game of Thrones. And I was like, son of a bitch. This stuff is great. And then I was pissed because they ended so stupidly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that, I mean, that I, I haven't watched Game of Thrones, but I've heard everybody complain, say the same thing about the ending. And I think that's part of that. That's part of the storytelling crisis. Burn, I, I'm halfway through your talk with Justin. And, yeah, um, yeah. 
and that you know put me onto some things too. And and like the uh, once a, once I was a hippie, then I was a stockbroker. Now a hippie. I, I immediately looked up that song. <laughs> it was hysterical. Yeah, but, um, it is. It is. Well, it is late for me, so I am going to uh, turn into a pumpkin. Right. And <laughs> anyway, well, I got a question for you before you. Yeah. Run. The question is, um, I have this idea about um, the IDW is to Christianity what the what Led Zeppelin was to the blues. In 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 other words, the blues were reintroduced oh. to Americans via the Beatles and Zeppelin. And and the Rolling Stones and the IDW, I think, in this this YouTube medium has kind of done some of this to the culture. What do you what do you think about that? Mm, I'm not sure about that that comparison. And uh, are you saying that the it, see to me, I look at Led Zeppelin and other metal bands and stuff taking blues patterns and kind of injecting them with a kind of electric electric steroids, but coming at it also with a certain set of interpretations that, you know, for instance, the long guitar solo, you don't find old blues songs that have the long guitar solo like that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's both a misinterpretation and a, you know, steroids for the sound. And I don't look at the IDW as being like that. That's mm -hmm. my immediate thought. Okay. That is say, I don't think the IDW is, you know, rocking stairway to the Bible. <laughs> I, IDW is kind of coping for um, for for political exiles from the left. Hmm. In a lot of ways, that's what it was. Yeah, I look at it more as a doorway. You know, and it's a doorway that swings both ways in a sense. Yeah. It's it is one could call it something like an estuary. <laughs> <laughs> it's where the salt and the fresh water meet. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. All right, Burn. Have a good night. Draw beach. Well, we will meet again later. All right. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Hey, it's good to chat. Sorry, I think I do have to go as well. Sorry, I can't stay long. But, Not a problem. Uh, look forward to catching up with you guys again soon. Chad, I think we're we're on to catch up soon, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Chad's running fun. his randos. A lot of All your right. randos aren't so random, though, Chad. You're, you're getting a lot of the uh, usual well, faces. I, I, what I want is the stories about mm. them themselves, not necessarily what it is they're talking about. I like that. Yeah, I love I love what you guys are doing. So appreciate it. Sorry I couldn't stick around longer, but I gotta help uh, the fam. All right, Pete. So, thanks. Thanks for later. hopping on. Yep. Well, I well, guess Chad, it's, it's just me and you. Just us. Yikes. Uh, well, I have a cigarette, so when this is gone, I gotta go do some work. Oh, um, I, I should I, I should find out what it would take for. So I I, I have a bathroom I have to remodel. Mm-hmm. You got any advice for me? Uh, find somebody who knows what they're doing to do it. Because otherwise, there's there's a saying you get what you pay for, and that is there's a reason for that. I mean, we're I'm doing remodels, and a lot of these remodels are things that people did themselves and they regretted it. And yeah. there's a lot that goes into doing it correctly. 
and you're gonna there's a reason why you pay so much for it um and so that would be my advice you know like uh find somebody with a good bid but you know who has a some good do like my wife does she does reviews she looks at reviews on everything before she pays for anything and so i would do that um but yeah that's what i would do I don't. I don't know what took so long to get Mark in here. Mark, what what took you so long? Oh, I I wanted the Nick Cave stuff to burn to have his thing, and you know I don't, <clears throat> you know I, I'm not. I'm only jumping in because I think Nick the Nick Cave thing is oh I can't comment on the never heard of the guy. Yeah, I, know I know all these weird musicians from my musician friends. Never even heard of this guy. Um, you know, you want to you want to talk about you want to talk about Sam Harris. Yeah, well, you saw some of my streams, so I'd love your your input and feedback. I, I didn't see a lot of your stream. I was trying to get a sermon done, but I saw you were streaming, so I hopped over there and left oh. a snarky comment. But I didn't I didn't stay for too much. Oh, so, well, it was a, I, I did read some of the comments though. So Joey's no, comments, but Joey doesn't <laughs> Joey doesn't like what I do with Sam Harris. So um, no, but I'll see Joey. No. I'll see. Hopefully, I'll see Joey New Year's Eve. Joey's coming over to the house. So oh, nice. Looking That'll forward be great. to that. That's what's that's Don't what's nice about heart. local is you can actually can actually do some stuff. So I know. No, it's oh. definitely nice about local. That's here comes that's another good. creature. Oh, good. So, so, so what what first? Sam Harris first? Grim, yeah, or did Grim, do you have a mission that you came in here to, to comment? Grim usually lays his payload and then leaves. That's Grim's style. Well, that's that's the old Popeye, Grim. I'm not him anymore. Uh first oh. I first I have to apologize to uh, Eric. I was just demonstrating he wasn't protected with a wrench. And so I timed him out for 10 seconds, and now he's not speaking anymore. Oh, you you timed out a priest? Hope you have your savings throws up. (laughs) You did a bunch of his posts and then timed him out. No, just just the timing out for 10 seconds automatically deleted all his posts. I didn't even understand that. But uh, so um, here's that penitence or penance for that. I'm sorry. And, uh, and Sam Harris is the king of the midwits. I think we can just say that. Uh, <laughs> Nick Cave is designed and directed by his red right hand. And um, what was oh the whole math? Yeah, the charts, man. People like charts. People, People like do charts. like charts. Uh, navigating patterns. You need more charts, Mark. <laughs> they help I, us navigate. Do you know how much? how much work those are slides are a lot of work paul you should know that <laughs> my slides in particular because i'm always trying to fit in all these ideas and you know one thing and yeah anybody likes to do slides yeah, contact me on, on well there's Discord there's Twitter. um there's the mapping guy that i had he's still in the membership section his his video hasn't been liberated to the full channel but i think he wants oh. he'll want his video out so there's a lot of guys in the corner who like making maps and oh um, okay all these different maps of things. So. Yeah, that's true. But but I always invite them over. I'm like, I got slides that we could. I've got I've got two more. I've got my model my model of knowledge video uh, with the slides. I've got two more of those that we could go into that I think people would really find helpful. But uh, my focus has been terrible just because I'm in the middle of a lawsuit and there's all this garbage going on and it's just been hell. So <clears throat> my focus keeps sliding off of all these long term things. I've got all my I've got a bunch of my navigating pattern stuff ready for podcast. It's been that way for like three months. <laughs> it's oh, like man. I haven't gotten around to doing the rest of the fourth. And I, in fact, I did three of the steps today. I'm like, ooh, I'm this close. I can just 
start uploading. Yeah, I just it's been it's been hard. But well, I, I thought I thought the thing the thing to me that 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 I thought about the Sam Harris convo was Peterson doesn't push back, which you know whatever there could be a reason for that. But like you, you and you, I liked your video. I had to listen to it at double speed to fit it in before I did my stream, and I wanted to do that because uh, like your feedback is excellent always because you're you're very. You're a genius, so you you really catch up. But the the thing that I don't like is that people aren't catching the fact that he actually said, "Well, if you make thing, if you had a button to make things less bad, then that would not be good, and so you wouldn't want to hit that button." Like that is actually his whole argument. And like, no, really, that's actually his whole argument. The problem is, and it starts at one oh six or so in the transcript. Hmm, you can tell I did my homework. Um, if you read it, it's like a long time. See it, Chad. It's a long time before he actually says that. And I think you it's easy to huh. get lost and say, wait a minute. All he actually said was happiness is goodness. And and if you had a button that could make things that would make things bad or make you less intelligent or you know, whatever. He has three or four. Yeah, things. yeah. I remember that section. But but that's his whole definition of 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 the most evil. And, and I'm like. Forget about direction away from evil doesn't get you to good. Although also that he doesn't even make a real argument. He makes a self-referencing argument. And then, like I said, like yeah. you didn't point out at one point, he goes, well, you know, the, the resurrection of Japan is a miracle. And I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't you just say like 20 minutes ago that the resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't a miracle? Like, <laughs> I don't like really dude. You're using the same word and he used the word spirit. And I'm like, because to me, it's a, it's dare I say it, it's an evolution in his thought. It's an advancement of his thought because now he's using all the terms that he wouldn't use. Oh, yeah. Because he's run out of material terms. Like the materialism yeah. is ending. Like, well, I don't have any material terms for this thing I'm trying to communicate. And and I, I was shocked that you missed all that. I'm like, this is the best Sam Harris conversation. Because usually I'm 10 minutes in and I'm done. I can't. I can't do it anymore. No, but this one I had no problem listening to. Uh, it's it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. I could I like tell you, you got upset at it. the end of your at the end of your thing, and I was like, "Oh, Paul's actually angry." I like how you caught that uh, Peterson was just giving him enough rope to hang himself. <laughs> Go ahead, Sam. Maybe. Keep talking. Keep talking. Maybe. I, I, I mean, I, again, I mean, you watch enough Peterson, you know how he is with people, and you see how he is with different people. And with Sam, it's like, what's Jordan doing? You know, it's he's just he's letting him think, right? Because to talk is to think. And I think he's like, and and I I said this in my live stream, like it's very clear to me that Sam never thought about the things he was talking about when he was talking about it was the first time he ever actually thought that through, and that's why he kept running into problems and then hitting into self-reference and hitting into words like spirit, which he normally doesn't run into, but like. It's the end of materialism, baby. Like it, it has it has its limits. Oh, 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 no, I missed this one. This is the this is the one I was looking for. Yeah. Grim Grizz looks like Brett Weinstein now that <laughs> The implications of that comment, sir, are immense. <laughs> I wanted to point out that Hyun Shu over on X said that Lex Friedman is the king of the midwits. And I don't know if Sam has ever been on Lex, but that would be one of the most boring circular conversations I can imagine. A lot has of Sam agreement. Been on Lex, I can't imagine Sam. Yeah, 
No, but 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 look, but look, I mean, Sam has achieved nirvana by eliminating all the critics on X, and now he has a happy life, which means it's good. Like, I mean, that's <laughs> like when he said all that, I was just like, did you just say that like on public on a stream, dude, on a on a video? That's not gonna play well later. Now, now, Nico, I, I bring Nico up here because that um, this is a comment I get fairly regularly. Actually, I get it fairly regularly for just about everyone. Give Jordan Peterson a rest. Give Sam Harris a rest. The reason why I pick some of these people is not just because I want to highlight these people or platform these people as if my platform means anything compared to these mega platforms. It's because these people represent significant spirits in our midst. Right. And I think the spirits have to be pointed out. And the thing is that, you know, if if I'm on something that you're that it's map territory, just watch navigating patterns or grim grizz or you know, I'm dyslexic. I always get the pointing wrong. Watch how, some how of much, these guys. How much of it was that like you know you owe it to the algorithm as like a Peterson commentary channel to feed it some of those? No, no. You don't um, feel obliged, no audience I, I, captured or I, algorithm I, captured. And then Rod, then my friend Rod, and he said this to me privately as well as publicly. I think Sam Harris can bring he's bring out the worst in you. No way. Um, but um his I I actually I was I was you know, for the most I don't listen to Sam's podcast, I don't do any of that stuff, but I lit I did listen to him and Eric on trigonometry, and that made me I I I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you know, because on one hand, I nations they need prisons, you know, it, nations gotta do stuff. I totally get that. But it's the the difficult thing that we are that we always deal with is that spirits inhabit people. And those people energize nations to do hugely destructive right. things. Right. And the difficult thing, I mean, it is a miracle what happened in Japan after the Second World War and also in Germany after the Second World War. Yep. Because these spirits were pretty effectively exercised in Germany and Japan, very quickly became better places to live and much better citizens. And this... The Islam question is a is something that I you know if you're listening to my videos you say I'm approaching it very carefully because and you don't want to accidentally not, draw a cartoon. <laughs> it's not that it's not that I'm afraid of Islamists because um, there's much people of higher profile saying much more radical things about Islam. It's because so I have I have a friend who was a missionary in a deeply Muslim country. And I won't mention his name or the country he lived in, yada, 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 because there's very sensitive things there. And I asked him once, I said, talk to me, because this is a guy I knew from college. I know his family. And he says, um, I said, what, what has living in this country taught you? And he basically said something to the effect of how beautiful the people are and how terrible the religion is. But wow. it's really hard to separate people from these things. And right. so it's really easy to just, you know, sort of blindside a whole group of people because of the religious label. I try not to do that with atheists. I try not to do that with whole groups of other people. Why should I do it with Islam? And that's where I find this show, Rami, on Hulu. The, the seasons get 
um, consecutively worse, but I really do want to pay some attention to that show on my channel because here is a young Egyptian, a young second generation Egyptian growing up in North Jersey, very close to where I grew up. And he's dealing with all the same kinds of issues that most other American kids are, but it's got the Islamic valence instead of the Christian valence. And it's very interesting watching this go through. And the, I think a lot of people who've gone into orthodoxy will will find some very interesting similarities there. So it's Islam is a very interesting test case. And it's a little easier to deal with. Mormons are a little bit, we're more, more familiar with Mormons, at least if you live in the Western part of the United States. Right. Because Mormons... I don't have a lot of respect for the Mormon religion, but I've got a ton of respect and love for Mormon people. But those Mormon people were formed by that Mormon religion. So it's a right. very interesting dynamic. So, but well, Islamism it, is a big deal. But it is the formation part that I think everyone, it's the time component, right? It's like, I was talking about this on my stream. Like, look, well, what would happen if you tried to enact a secular world? How long would it take for you to find out? Two generations? And then I go, look around. <laughs> like, what do you think? It, right? If you thought secularity was a reasonable frame or a valid frame to have in the world, and, and which would mean there was a state of no religion, um, then what would happen and how long would it take? Well, it turns out it would take about two and a half generations or so. And I would argue... That's kind of what we're seeing is the results of behaving as if. Yeah, it's and, you know, there are there are interesting, um, you know, with Turkey, that whole process that Turkey went through. And, you know, Grizz, your story, I mean, you saw that on the Vanderclips channel. I took that really wonderful description of your church going. Unitarians, though they may be, um, <laughs> there are a fair number of Unitarian Pentecostals out there. They, they, um, but anyway, so you know, secularity is a very tricky thing. And now Grizz is living in the Bible Belt. And now Mark, <clears throat> you are a Yankee, not a you're a Yankee who moved to the Bible Belt. So, and there are a lot of Yankees who moved to the Bible Belt because the weather up there sucks, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, you know, a lot of what we're dealing with in this corner are these issues, but with a Christian valence. Now, with an Islamic valence, things are going to be different. And and just the geopolitical aspect of Islam is very different. Um, ta -ta -ta oh, wait, you should drop the stream link again so somebody can come on and fill my spot. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this thing and it's like. It reminds me of how they used to say we had an angel on the one shoulder and a devil on the other. And I can't figure out who is who in this scenario. <laughs> so, yeah, Turkey is very secular. Turkey went through this process basically of secularization. You know, Egypt did to a degree, too. You know, my conversation, again, it's still in the member section. It'll come out soon with um, with Ash from Egypt. That That conversation from start to finish was just fun but he's armenian who had got so christian you know orthodox christian goes to egypt you know eventually comes to america spoiler alert becomes protestant um the particular you know reformed protestant so it's 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 super interesting well my, my actually grim my time is pretty much done here i really have to 
get on with my day. So we don't really need someone to come in and fill the slot. But um, yeah, good time to land. Good time to land the plane, Grizz. Now let me ask before I while I got you here. How do you do your live stream? How do you click into those that branding so quickly? It's they're under. You have to click off of the comments into branding and then down into the MP4s you uploaded. Oh, you use these, you upload these things into StreamYard, StreamYard. and then you can just click yep. into them. And you click into them. And it's really yeah. handy if like your computer goes down and you can, you still have them when you get back into StreamYards because on a different device. So it's, it's terribly handy. So you can preload, like I preload my little video that I do in the beginning, my little animation for my live uh -huh. streams. And then I preload the, you know, all the other stuff that I want. But you could load it before you did the stream for specific stuff for the stream and then go to branding and go click and it'll come up on the screen right away. That's uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. You have to cut them in in like OBS or whatever, make your own little MP4s first. Yeah. But that's easy to do. And we'll yeah, invoice you for the StreamYard tutorial. Well, I, I you know, I actually uh-oh, uh-oh, oh no, oh no, uh, the I, twins I, are here. Oh, <laughs> Oh, no, I can't leave, Paul. You need the backup. Oh my gosh! Oh, so but but you know, actually, what I should do is I should fly Chad out to fix my bathroom. I just have to figure out what that would cost. But um, you should. You all right, should. Manuel. I was gonna I was gonna land the plane, but you're. I don't want to throw you know bump onto you in the runway. So what what, what did I do wrong? Uh, nothing that I saw. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I just hopped in. You're so like, Dutch. Nothing that I saw. I was raised by Dutchmen, you know. I, I know I know your I know your kind. You didn't no, talk no, about I, home I, math I, enough. We need some more home math according to the title complaint. Well, let's delivery. hear let's hear what you guys think of home math. I'm you know, <laughs> you're all single guys. I'm a married guy. Like I said, if I get a girlfriend, I have real problems. I lose my job. I lose my wife. My kids are mad at me. Girlfriend is not something I'm looking for. I, I don't. <clears throat> I saw a few of his videos and, <clears throat> you know, he seems very pessimistic and like nothing works. And it's like, mm, you know, I, I go back to the Peterson thing, right? If it's all women, maybe it's not all women. <laughs> maybe. It's, and I'm just like, boy, I'm getting that Peterson spidey sense on this one. Um, yeah, I saw I saw another one of his videos last night. Uh, when I was uh, luxuriating in a in a warm bath, and I was like, "Now, nah, dude, you 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 sound bitter." And and but to be fair, I mean, he's pointing out something very important. Everyone's telling you how to do these things, and the things they're telling you are just wrong. Yeah. And 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 that's the issue. It's like we're so and and well, you've seen my Twitter age of gnosis. We're so stuck on the age of gnosis that we're looking for a proposition, a set of propositions that will answer our question. When what we need is a set of exemplifications that we just follow almost unconsciously that give us what we want. Now you're not married yet, are you, Manuel? No. Okay, I just, just, just checking. I don't want <laughs> to you know, a, reveal anything here. There's a, in the, a spirit of individualism that, that's really strong in, in, in the world, right? And, when, when you have that spirit active uh, in a relationship, right? Like that means that you have two parallel things that get bound in the same lane by being together, right? But, but that's insufficient, right? Like that binding needs 
to start happening at, at a different level at, at some point. And like, sometimes you get lucky, right? And you get this romantic sense of love or you, you actually submit, right? And you have to surrender part of the individual identity to, to that relationship. And like, that's so big a step for a lot of people. And, and like, obviously it happens, right? Because like Mark has been talking about cooperation a lot. In order to cooperate, you, you have to do that, right? But, but it doesn't happen in a, in a fundamental way, right? It's like, like, oh, I do this because, because I like it or it works for me, right? So there's a, there's a transactional component uh, always present. And yeah, it's, it's really hard to overcome that, especially if you're, you're in your head all day. And they don't talk about that. Like this is like 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 Verveke's agent arena relationship is really good framing, especially at the individual level. But but it, it actually doesn't work well until you realize there's no arenas with only one agent, and there's no agent in only one arena. And yeah. now all of a sudden you start to go, oh, yeah. that means something important. Yeah, yeah, it means you're not alone in the world. And now you could have. Because they talk about domicide, I think this is new thinking. I think all domicide is spiritual. There's no such thing as material domicide. Hmm. Yeah, because all homes are fundamentally spiritual. That's right. You can't make a home without that higher thing, and and if you have that higher thing, anywhere you are can be a home to you. Right. Because just people just living together is not a home. Now that now we're barking up Grizz's tree here. But 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 let me let me weigh in on home math. First, I like the levels because the integral system uses the wrong color scheme and he ties it to the chakras colors, which is important and relevant. And and like I said in the comments you highlighted, the, the unfathered men demographic is huge. But this whole like the all women comment Mark was making is because like there's been the death of the shadow matriarchy. And so Set is training the women on how to be what a woman should be. And what a woman should be, according to Seth, is not um, in alignment with biology and or the human culture at all. And so that the women are like that is because also of there's a huge demographic of unfathered and unmothered girls out there growing up into what Seth has been normarade them into. And um, so they need a, they need their own version of that channel. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that right. they have that. No, okay. women, women are women are trying to be powerful in a masculine way instead of precious, and so men have nothing to protect. So they've got they don't know what to do. I ain't got nothing to protect. What the hell do I do? Right. And at the same time, women are trying to be men, and so they're actually competing. And that gets back to what Manuel was saying: you get two people who are together, but they're not united. Right. They're in parallel instead of taking on roles where where one specialization helps the other specialization, right? They're both trying to do this. We're both trying to have jobs in tech or whatever, right? We're both trying to do this thing. And it's like, well, is that the most efficient and efficacious way to live your life? You know, because I, I don't think it is. And, and, and I've seen this, I'm experiencing it now. Uh, you know, some people get really calmed down when all they have to deal with is like housework and stuff. And then... Other people, when they don't have to deal with housework or like going grocery shopping, for example, like they can now focus on things they couldn't focus on before. Like that's real. That happens to people. And, and no one's talking about that. Like, wow, wouldn't it be great if you only had to worry about these four things instead of 
these eight things. And then somebody else worried about the other four things. And they didn't have to worry about the four things you're worried about. Wouldn't that be better for both people? I, I'm like, it's a struggle and it's a sacrifice. And at times it really sucks. But on balance, and this is where it gets tricky, it's better, especially over time. Joey got it right in the chat there, Paul. Joey? We, Joey. Oh, Joy. We, we, we need so, to hook up Homath and Mary Harrington and see what happens. <laughs> we can guys, do it as a corner. We can pressure them into it. Let's make it happen, folks. Mary, Mary Harrington is a Leviathan. She is, uh, yeah. <laughs> she is something else. Um, you should hear the real quote I gave Justin Brierly. He used a little bit for his thing, but I gave him, I gave him a much more salty quote that he doesn't want to put on a Christian podcast. Um, so I, I want to add something because I, I think uh, I've been reading uh, Plato while we finished with Mark and a couple other guys on the Texas Wisdom Community channel. Uh, so yeah, check it out if you're reading Plato. But Plato talks about this these generations, right? So he starts basically with the philosopher king and he has a society around it and then it starts devolving, right? So he's, he's putting it in stages, right? And, and what happens is a new generation occurs, right? And, and then it gets an equilibrium, right? So there's a normalization of something. And then after the normalization happens, the next stage of regression can occur, right? So the societal structure regresses in phases and it ends up in tyranny right and and when we're talking about these women and 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 how they're individualized and, and masculinized right like we're not at the end of of that journey like the end is going to get worse and and like it's going to have massive societal impacts that it, it's not having now all hail avatar <laughs> Um, what was I, uh, any of you watched the Jordan Peterson, Sarah Hill conversation? No, Just the thinking about you brought it the homeroom. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And Sarah Hill, I, I'm really tempted to buy her book, except I buy too many books, but it's, I was really impressed with, with her and that conversation with Jordan. And I think part of the, I think Grim, your point about the shadow matriarch is important. And I still have yet to. The um, the conversation I did with Andrea with the bangs in Germany is out on, um, but that conversation we did about and and frozen Texan yeah I still have to listen to a bunch of those things you sent me I know you sent them to me, but part of I think part of this is that we think wisdom can be transmitted all in the same way through like telling people what to do. And propositionally. right, propositionally, and some things can be, and I think that that again tends to be much more of a masculine, direct, visible thing. But I think, I think the feminine is better caught than taught, and the difficulty is that these tools that we have are better at teaching than catching. And so I agree 100% what you have to say, Grizz, about... See, that's why I say Grizz, Grizz is a genius. Because, I mean, when he was going into the shadow matriarchy, and I was thinking, yeah, yeah, that's that's a real thing. And so... Um, it was like uh, when uh, you highlighted that uh, Jacob's story about his grandma. Yeah. The discovery of the washing machine. It's like, that's what she lost with, for an exchange with the washing machine. It's her access to the communal wisdom. And... Since they operate on that social layer, they catch, I guess, embodied norms and wisdom 
through witnessing those interactions on, on ways that men don't because we look at things. But I'm running away now. Bye, everybody. All right. I should yeah. I should land the plane here, too. I have uh, a job work to well, do. I, go ahead, I told go ahead, Manuel. I, I, I'd make a commentary video on uh, on the talk that you did about the, the feminine with Andre with the bangs. Uh, oh, did I don't you think make it's, one? Is it out yet? Because like I, I don't think it's out yet. It is out. You can find it. So um, Cassidy is posting them, but there's not a lot of views on them. So I, you know, maybe during, I, I've been putting so much stuff through my channel lately. Um, I should, I should start posting some of those things too. But it is out. So that recording is out, and it's pretty good. The, the first talk I gave, the volume's kind of low, so I'm sure I'll get some complaints about that. But the conversation. And anyway, I. I I, ha I had a lot of points to make. You did. You had a lot of, uh, yeah, I know that you had a lot of things to say about that. So you should definitely make a commentary video on that conversation, Manuel, and get that out there. So, and we've got Navigating Patterns. And what's the name of your channel, Manuel? Agapic Orientation. Agapic uh, Orientation. I'm sad that you don't remember. They need to try harder. <laughs> you so don't say it every 10 minutes. That's You're so key. Dutch. Like, you can make fun of me all you want, but everybody knows my damn channel name. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It can be well, annoying, but it's effective. It's, that's right. Well, have you seen the Convivium Talks? And have you seen Dr. Jim's channel? No. Dr. Jim is a channel. Oh, good. When I met him in Arkansas, man, that oh. was like, wow, this guy's awesome. He's way better in person than he's online. He you is. think Dr. Jim's good online? Wait till you meet him in person. He is no, great. He is, he is true. He is tremendous. And um, I didn't I didn't know he started a channel. So he has a he had a channel. He put at least two of the convivium talks out on it recently. So it's sort of revivified, I think three. And then the golden echo is Ted's channel. He's the one that ran the conference it was really a retreat it was awesome all day it was all day just hanging out with the same people eating the whole nine yards all day campfires it was wonderful but those talks have started to come out and and i continue to insist for maybe maybe for somewhat uh, selfish reasons once you hear the talks that they're the best talks out there um they were they were really good i i, I thought the best it. peterson's peterson sphere talks are the convivium talks and i'm so glad i i drove out there and 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 did the paintball and, and everything else. Well, they had um, paintball was, too? Oh, yeah, we did paintball. Yeah, oh, yeah. So part of the problem, and, and actually someone who has made much larger platforms has talked to me about this problem before. Part of the problems we have in the corner is we are very decentralized, and there isn't sort of one place that, and Jacob, of course, has been complaining about this, and everybody wants me to organize this, but I'm not going to organize this because I'm, I'd be really bad at it because I already have a church and I'm really bad at organizing that. And so if you give me something even bigger, it would be even worse. But we do, so what's the channel name of where we can find, drop it, drop it in the, in the chat, uh, Mark. I'll, I'll drop uh, Dr. Jim's uh, channel in there. And then, yeah, he's got four of the talks up. Um, Father Eric has one of the talks up on his channel. And Ted's got one of the talks up on his channel. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's great. Um, I, I, I don't know if they're all going to get on one channel or not. Uh, ho hopefully they will. Um, but... But they were um, they were they were such good talks. Uh, I really I really enjoyed 
uh, not only being there, but I've been listening to the after the fact, and uh, you know they're 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 more more rich the second time around. I would say, yeah. Um, and and that that to me is is important, right? Because it it sort of indicates that you know that thing that John Bravicki's talking about, right? When he he says, oh, you know, there's a depth there um, that that you wouldn't catch otherwise. So there's all the three channels that that the talks are on that I know about. And okay. and yeah, I don't know if they'll all end up on Golden Echo or if they'll all end up on Dr. Jim's or or what their plan is. Uh, Jess edited them, so they're gorgeous. And oh, Jess's good. talk is out, and of course, like. Of course, you want to hear Jess's talk. Like, come on, you got to hear Jess's talk. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Mark. You posted the same link three times. Oh, did I? Oh, that's yeah. not what this thing told me. Let me uh, let me figure out what's going on here. No, this one says it's the right one. Okay, we got see. Corey oh, posted Father Big Mac. There we go. Yeah, the copy paste doesn't work anymore. A bunch of things are broken. I've noticed in the yeah, computer space I, lately. Just yeah. broken for everyone. I, yeah. I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, a Golden Echo didn't post then. No, just Doctor Jim's. Yeah, Father Big Mac. So I found one on Father Big Macs, but yeah, those. I that would have been a totally good conference. I still haven't. I still haven't figured out if I'm going to the Symbolic World Conference in Florida yet. Um, that's you know it's. These conferences, I, I'm, I think these conferences are so crucial because, hey, if you go to Europe, you can meet Manuel. And Manuel is a cool guy. And, you know, the nice thing about, and if you, you know, if you can meet Mark at one of these conferences and you can sit by him and you can bother him so he can't listen to the, the talk while you're sitting next to him. We, we bothered um, each other. We bothered each other, uh, <laughs> but the conferences are are really important, and um, we yeah we we don't have a lot of them planned for twenty twenty four. Interestingly enough, so not that I've seen. I don't know what Catherine's doing. I was real hopeful that we were going to get Thunder Bay every year because uh, that was so. I mean, you want the Divine Feminine, boy, like that going to that conference because there were just stuff that happened and like yeah. things would appear, and I was like. You know, and I'm talking to Catherine. She's like, "Well, no, that wasn't planned." And I'm like, "Well, then, how the hell did it happen? Like, yeah. when, like, how did this ideal thing appear at the ideal moment? Ideally, I don't understand." And it turns out that Scott's wife was, you know, making things happen just by seeing a lack and filling it. And I was just like, I didn't even know that was a lack until it was filled. And then I was like, "This is brilliant!" And th there's the divine feminine in action, right? The shadow matriarchy, whatever you yeah. want to call it. And that's and and that's different from you know a guy would just say you go do this, but women just make things happen, and you know who knows how I don't know I I don't understand. And I love the German event, the German the yeah event that was, was there was also some divine feminine going on there, and like yeah. when I was leaving, like I was talking to the wife of, of the guy who well runs the place, and and she said your smile brightened up the place, and I'm like wow right like like that that just hit right because she's she's just doing stuff in the background right she's she's relating to all of this stuff and it's like oh like that's the way that that i made an impression upon her right and and like what is she attending to right like she's not attending to the conference right she's she's attending to how things flow like like whether there's a need and like like i came in and it was it was amazing so i'm just 
sitting on this table. And at a certain point, this, the, these two kids, right? Because they're already these kids as well. They come up with a cup of cappuccino with like a nice foam on it with, with, with the lines and everything. And I'm like, I cannot say no to this. Like, like I just have to drink this cup. <laughs> it's like, like, it's too cute. And, and stuff like that, right? Like, it, it's amazing. But you also have to learn how to appreciate it, right? Like, yeah. you can also be like, I don't want coffee. <laughs> so that's, so that's... Grim Grizz says April 8, Bosquedel, Illinois. I don't know yeah, anything about that. I know Corey's been trying to work on one November-ish, Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, Texas okay. is a place that there are a lot of people, but Texas is a big, big place. So, um, what's but, it about? Those are my questions. Like, what's the, what's yeah, the who's going to be here? there? I mean, we, I mean, Israel was going to happen, but Israel's not going to happen now, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, but no, I, and John and Jonathan and John and I should probably do a, I'm, I'm working on scheduling another talk with John and another one okay. with Jonathan and probably the three of us should get together again. So talk. Talk, talking about things happening, I'm actually thinking of organizing something myself. Uh, really? But, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to do a conference. Like I, I'm getting sick of those things. Uh, too much mm -hmm. talking. Uh, like I want to do like a week of camping. Do a retreat. Um, oh, yeah. And, and like we, we have people come in with their practices, right? Like, whatever they are, like if they have something that that's moving, right. And then communal cooking, right. Like, I, like I want to, I want to do the, the being together aspect and, and, and the cultivating of community and, and, and the participation. Cause like, that's, that's what I'm all about. And I don't, I don't think the talky talky stuff does anything uh, if, if it's not embodied <laughs> at right. some point. Well, can convivium was, was paintball, then dinner together around a huge campfire. And then we go to this place and that's where we're sleeping and that's where we're getting our meals together. And, you know, and, and that's where the talks are. And those three buildings are right by each other. And every night it was campfires until bad. Yeah. So it's basically yeah. like, you're just hanging out with these people all day and having eating with them and everything else. Yeah. And, and it was really rich because there were campfires every night. Yep. And there's something magical yep. about the campfire thing. Yep. And the DC event, the magical thing there was everybody singing together, obviously. Right. These little things are not little. No. And when you add them to something like a conference, everything sort of changes all at once. Well, I, I think definitely Rod and Chris need to um, need to do Nashville. Nashville I can and, get to Nashville. And Rod, um, you know, R Rod and Nuance Forum. I mean, they've they've kind of been out there, and you know, I know Rod, but thing is, I would I would definitely go to anything Rod would organize because Rod's oh, got a heck wow. of a a heck of a Rolodex, and um, Rod also watches far beyond us because part of what keeps this stuff. Part of what keeps this stuff live is if, again, it's got to be estuary-like, is you've got to continue to bring in new things and not just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And um, and you know, that's kind of how it develops. And every conference, and that's that's part of the reason that I've I've resisted too much centralization with this, because if Rod puts together an event or Manuel puts together an event, or you know, I should probably do something at Living Stones at some point too. 
um, everything is going to be different. And so there'll be some similar and some different. And then each event is a unique thing. Yeah, you need to you need to check out the Catholics. You'd be like, oh, it's all under one umbrella and it's all so different. Yeah, it's those two things are not are not as connected as you Yeah, think. yeah. The Catholics, you know, not such a happy family right now. Um actually no, they're not. No, the 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 uh, proving out of the Westminster Confessional does not make many Catholics happy, but yes. Well actually uh, Michaela lives in um Michaela lives in Arizona now. Oh, did she move to Arizona? She they moved to Arizona. They were in Nashville, then they were in Florida, too much mold in Florida, so they moved to Arizona. We're no mold in Arizona. No mold in moisture. Arizona. None. Zero. So True. yeah, when is yeah, Luke, when is Minnesota gonna do something? They've got tons of um yeah. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you know, Nashville. people have to organize things and they have to sacrifice and lead things and do a bunch of work. And it's a pain to do a bunch of work, right, Manuel? And Manuel and I know all uh, about doing yeah, work. I, I know. I'm things. really good at not doing work. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> all right. We're going to land the plane here because I got to I gotta be Pastor Paul. Thank again. you, Paul. Always so, a pleasure. Thank you all. Thank you all for the live stream and uh, take care, everybody. Yeah. Ending transmission. Oi, oi, oi.